You are listening to How to Rewrite Your Stars, the podcast that is all about helping you to change those stubborn patterns that seem as firm as the constellations in the sky. Here, you'll find people just like you, sharing their stories of triumph, courage, and hope. How they were able to rewrite the stars in their own life. This is the show for you if you've been looking for that person who overcame, whom you can relate to, or if you're looking for the tools to be able to change your own story. I'm your host, Benjamin Fincher, a life coach and mentor who's been working on self-mastery since I was nine years old. Join me now as I welcome another phenomenal guest to have them share their story with us today. Today's episode is sponsored by Starlight Mentoring. Welcome back to How to Rewrite Your Stars this week. I'm on with Celia Sugg. Did I get your name in the right there? Absolutely did. That was good. Awesome. And I'm your host, Benjamin Fincher. And Celia here is a 20-year mental health professional and anxiety coach. She helps Christians struggling with anxiety in spite of their faith, understand the mind-body-spirit connection, and master specific skills from a faith-focused, evidence-based, whole-person health perspective. And she has personally overcome anxiety, helped hundreds of clients break free from anxiety, and is passionate about showing people how to stop anxiety in its tracks so that they can control their anxiety instead of it controlling them. Isn't that like what everyone needs today? <laughs> <laughs> I know. As you're saying that, I'm thinking, okay, everybody, everybody can relate to the feeling of having anxiety on some level, right? Especially probably in our current times. Oh, yeah. I think the funny thing for me is growing up, I never was really told what anxiety was. Right. And you know how you're growing up and you're like, oh, open means I open something. You know, yeah. as like motion and something opening or like light means like it's now bright. Or like, you know, you start to associate all these words and I just heard anxiety and I'm just like, it's like, okay. <laughs> and that's what it was for me is I'm just like, Obviously, I've never had anxiety because I've never had a panic attack. <laughs> I think that's how it is for most people. I think overall mental health is like kind of mysterious, you know, like we yep. don't learn a lot about it or understand much about it or we get bad teaching about it. And so in my experience, like it's, it's simple things that lead to good mental health. Anybody can do them, but most people are just never taught, you know, right. how, how to do it. Well, it's like you get told growing up, okay, in order to have a healthy body, you got to make sure you're working out and eating right and get enough sleep. And it's really simple and it's very obvious. It's very obvious. Yeah. With your mental health, it is not very obvious until it is way past the first step. (laughs) Unless I get really excited about because I I feel like that is the... um, analogy I always give that we all get it when it comes to physical health, that you have to do things to stay healthy. I mean, if you want to be healthy and in good shape, there's like certain habits that go along with that. And if you do them consistently, it works. And if you don't, it doesn't, but I just don't think that we've grasped the same thing when it comes to mental health. It's the exact same thing. There's like specific things you do. And if you do them consistently, you know, your mind and your emotions feel good. But I think that for whatever reason, people see mil- mental health differently. They think that it just should be good. Like it's just, yeah. it's like, well, I can't see it. So obviously it should be okay. Right. Okay, moving yeah. on. <laughs> well, I think it's because people don't know what to do. And you're right. When it comes to like eating and exercising, it's so concrete, 
you can see it, you know, like what effect it has if you do it or don't do it. Well, and even with it being very obvious and concrete that, you know, these things lead to these things, it's still like one of the hugest things that people pay other people to help them figure it out. Yes, yes. That's because so they're just like, I can't wrap my head around how to lose weight, get fit, you know, sleep better, eat better. Like, yes. Or and, and despite being, like we're saying, blatantly obvious, you are literally wearing your physical health on your body. <laughs> <laughs> and your mental health is just there like, I exist too. Can I get some love? <laughs> that is very true. That is very true. That is a really good like depiction of it. Um, but I think that once people know what to do for their mental health, if they'll do it, it helps, you know, and then anxiety resolves. Yeah. Well, sounds like we're going to have a really fun time here. Um, but before we get too deep on the what to do, I'm curious where you came from. Because, you know, your bio mentioned that you had come through anxiety yourself right. and I'm curious what your story is like you know maybe that point of where you realize oh like I have anxiety or you know wherever you feel like is a good spot to start yeah yeah so um I'll kind of start in the present and then work my way back okay. um so I mean as you said I I am a therapist and an anxiety coach so you know how sometimes I think everybody has this feeling sometimes you can get anxious and it's like, it's taking over your body or kind of emotionally overwhelmed. And it's like, you can't think straight. Um, <laughs> you had that experience. I, I just had that like two Saturdays ago, I went to the rec center at the pool and they've got a, it's, I guess you'd qualify it as a high dive, but it's, it's a cliff face. So it's not a diving board yeah. and it's probably 15, 12, 12, 15 feet off the surface of the water. And it's just, you know, you get out onto the platform and there's no bouncing or anything. It's just the edge of this cliff and you yeah. get there and you just like, oh, my water is far below me. Mm. And me being like six foot two ish, you know, my perception of height is, looking down as taller than maybe somebody that's five foot, you know, by like a foot. And when it's, you know, 12, 15 feet, and now it's looking like 13 or like, you know, that's, you know, an extra foot from whatever other people are seeing. Yes. And I'm just like, hmm, that's far. And then my next move is, well, you're up here. It's time to go. You said you were going to do this. You've done this before. It's fun. Step. Yeah. And in the 12 and a half foot deep pool, I touched bottom. Oh my goodness. <laughs> no, I had to like almost make an effort to hit the bottom and then to just touch off and be able to shoot back up. But no, I, I, I touched bottom. That's a, that's a really good metaphor actually for what anxiety is like and that feeling of going off a cliff. But yeah, everybody has that feeling sometimes, but some people have that feeling more of the times than others. And um, that, that used to be me. So I help people with that professionally, but I kind of came through a process of breaking free from anxiety myself, um, which was a long time ago now. I haven't really had anxiety for about 20 years, but wow. up until that point, anxiety was a big part of my life. And um, so I'll kind of go back to the beginning of right. my story and where that started. But um, 
I just grew up with some instability in my childhood and and my family's great. I love them, but we just had a lot of family disruption. And I think when you have that experience growing up, you just get kind of guarded, you know, you're always kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop, or you always have that feeling that like you're on the edge of a cliff looking down and you get really good at anticipating like worst case scenario, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen and that talent and ability embracing for impact, right? Totally. Yes. And, and that's what I was going to say that when you, it's helpful in a way, because when you can kind of always be aware of what could go wrong, yeah, it makes you feel more in control. You can kind of brace and be prepared. So if something happens, you're ready for it. Um, But the downside is it can make you really, really anxious to do that all, all the time. Um, And so I think a lot of people can relate to that. You know, they have anxiety because of some experience they've been through. Um, That's really common. But one thing I'll add just kind of about my story and where I came from. So um, that, you know, I always kind of saw the anxiety I had for the early part of my life as being related to those experiences. But then in my adult life, I had kids. And um, I have these (laughs) wonderful daughters who are teenagers. They're smart and sweet and they have the teenage attitude and everything, Um, but they're as different as night and day. I mean, their personalities are just really different. One of them- Sounds like me and my sister, my other siblings. (laughs) That's the way it works. I don't have siblings. So this was all like new to me, you know, the the whole sibling dynamic. Um, But one of my daughters is- a lot like my husband. She's just a very flexible, adaptable personality. Nothing bothers her, nothing. Um, And my other daughter is a lot like me. She's a really analytical thinker. Um, She feels things really deeply. She's really intuitive. So she picks up on everything going on. And um, because her personality is geared that way, I've had to really help her manage fear and anxiety. And so at some point watching her grow, I had this revelation of, I always thought I struggled with this because of my experiences, but I think I was born this way. (laughs) (laughs) I do think that there are- And another layer is uncovered. Another layer is uncovered. But I do think there are some some personality tendencies towards worry or anxiety. Um, And I, I have, a personality like that. But that said, I haven't struggled with anxiety in so long. And so regardless of what the reason is, whether it's past experiences or just your personality tendencies, um, it's result like anxiety is resolvable. So that's kind it, of like- And can I clarify something here? Absolutely. So I, I pick up a lot of word usage and if I'm hearing you right, you're saying you don't struggle with anxiety. Now, is that to say that you don't ever have anxiety for the last 20 years so or do you just not struggle with it it's impossible to not have anxiety you know like we're designed to feel some anxiety is like a warning signal when something's wrong and so it at times everybody has the experience of okay I have a little anxiety what's going on is something wrong like that gets your attention and tells you maybe there's some kind of danger or problem you need to address But that kind of anxiety that comes and goes, it's fleeting, it's situation specific, maybe it lasts a couple minutes, it might last a couple hours, maybe a day, but it's not long lasting, Mm -hmm. is just kind of like normal, you know, we're 
designed to feel that way sometimes, but the kind of anxiety where it's like, it's always there. It, you don't always know why it's this physical feeling that you have most of the time. Um, and it can be really overwhelming that I would say is more of like a, an anxiety struggle. Okay. And that's what I was figuring you were saying there, but I wanted to clarify that for the listeners. Cause you know, someone listening could be like, anxiety, like totally unrelatable. <laughs> Um, that's a great question. And I'm glad you asked, because I do think it's also important to recognize that some level of anxiety is normal and even necessary, but it's just the kind of anxiety that grabs on and doesn't let go, um, that you don't want, you know, that interferes with your quality of life. Right. Yeah. I think that's really good. And, And, you know, to pull an example out of the hat, if you're walking through a dark alley, obviously, you know, hopefully you're not walking through dark alleys, but if under some circumstance, you absolutely have to walk down a dark alley, you're probably going to be a little bit anxious. <laughs> and that would be wise, you know, <laughs> like you should your, your senses are now heightened, right? And you're a lot more aware of everything going on around you, of any slight rustle. You know, you may be jumpy, you may be in control of yourself enough to not be jumpy, but you're going to be very aware. As yeah. soon as you're out of that dark alley, you know, maybe for the next block, you're still like on hyper alert, but then it winds down, right? Very true. Yes. And that's how your brain and body should work because it protects you. There are situations where, yeah, you need that heightened awareness, but you don't need it all the time. You know, you don't need it on a Monday at Starbucks. So right. that's where the, the difference is between, okay, this is just like a regular level of anxiety, or this is like interfering it's a too high of a level. Yeah. And that's not to say like, don't be aware of your surroundings either, but like you don't need your body physically, chemically reacting to, I need to make sure I'm on my most hypersensitive awareness because something could happen. Yes. There's a difference between a dark (laughs) alley and like, you know, just your day-to-day, what you, what your routines are, where you go and what you do. Yeah. Well, with that defined, um, you said that you kind of was coming to that realization, maybe it's not all the circumstances, but maybe it's a little bit you as well. And, you know, I like to look at things from other perspectives as well. So would you maybe say it was a combination of all of that? Definitely. Yes. And I think that um, most of the time it is for people. And I think that where a lot of like mental health intervention or help or support falls short is that it only addresses one thing, you know, instead of looking at the whole picture of there's all these different things that impact not just anxiety, but your mental health overall. And they all have to be part of the healing process to really break free. Well, again, going back to the analogy of where, you know, having your physical body, You've got working out, you've got eating, you've got sleeping, you've got, you know, mindfulness time that, you know, even though that goes into the mental, that plays into your physical health as well. And vice versa, your physical health plays into your mental health. Yes, definitely. And that's the thing that um, I found, and I can talk a little bit about that too, how that story progressed into what transformed anxiety for me. Um, but it really was a, a process and a combination of things. And so that's the thing that I so want people to see in the way that I work with them now that you are 
body, you know, your physical body and your mind and emotions and spirit, you know, if your faith is important to you. And I use a faith-based approach when I'm helping people with anxiety. And if you're not addressing all of those areas, every area suffers. Yeah. Uh, so for me, the, about 20 years ago, I went through this kind of process of transformation and there were about four different things that just happened at the same time. And I kind of like to stress that it was a process because I find like we were talking about with mental health, it, it's hard for people to see the same kind of processes that you see for physical health. And so I feel like a lot right. of times people just want to like address it, be done. Like, let me just fix it and move on versus yeah, like, either like, okay, I took my pills. Now I'm better. Or, oh, I did the mental work exercise and wrote down my journal stuff. And now I'm good. <laughs> yeah. It's a process and really like a lifelong journey. So, I mean, I don't feel like anxiety is a struggle in my life anymore, but there are still areas for personal growth and development that I continue to work on, you know? So it wasn't like, a quick overnight thing. And sometimes when you're talking about things, looking back on the past, it sounds like it. Um, so I just feel like it's important to know it wasn't, it was a process over time, but about the same time, all these things kind of came together and happened. And so the first thing that happened was I started training to become a therapist, um, which wasn't, that was not my plan. That was kind of like an opportunity that showed up in my life. Um, and I decided to pursue it. And once I started that, I just like, couldn't get enough of what I was learning. It was like, I learned so much about what causes emotional pain, skills and tools to feel better, manage feelings, heal. And, um, so I just really dug into gathering as much information as I could to, you know, be a therapist and help other people, but it also helped me. And so I feel like the takeaway there is just being resourceful, you know, really looking for your own information and, and understanding there are solutions. You've just got to look for them. Um, and then I also, at that time, the second thing that happened was I started my own therapy. It's kind of an unwritten rule of therapy. If you are going to do therapy, you should go. Um, and that was really life-changing that helped me understand, you know, some of my story and patterns that needed to be changed. Um, so I think it's also important for people to get support. You know, I don't think we're meant to heal alone. We heal in relationship. Yeah. Um, and then along those same lines at that same time, I got married and, um, I don't know, if you and your spouse are really different, my husband and I are like completely opposite personalities. <laughs> Where should I start the list? <laughs> <laughs> I love her. She's phenomenal, but I love strategy games and she can not even make it through playing one. <laughs> right. You find somebody, With me. Like, you know, your opposite that balances you out, but starting to like do life with somebody who's so different than you just kind of holds up a mirror. You know, you see things about yourself. Oh, yeah. And if you're not aware enough or haven't learned this, that you're not looking at them to point things out at them. You're looking at yourself to point things out at yourself. Yeah. It gets heated. Definitely. And even knowing that and working on that and saying, okay, 
I'm only responsible for me. I'm not responsible for my wife. Yes. As much as I want her to change, like even knowing that. Yes, that is. It was, uh, all right, here's what you need to change today. Yes. (laughs) looking at her. It's huge. I, I feel like that whole process of recognizing, oh my goodness, there are some things about me that could grow or change um, is good. But I also feel like the other way a person like that in your life holds up a mirror is by showing you good things in you, you know, like that's true too. there were things I wouldn't have recognized as strengths in myself that my husband was able to reflect back to me. And so all of that helped with growth. Um, and so I always tell people to, you need to, you need to have a mirror, you know, get a mirror. That's how I help people when I'm coaching them, but whether it's a spouse or a close friend or family member or therapist or a coach, you need somebody who kind of helps reflect some of that back to you, both good and bad in yourself. Um, so that you continue being encouraged and feeling like going along the way and so you recognize oh this is the next couple of steps I need to take yes yeah and and you have some support too um because again it's hard to it's hard to do all this work of healing by yourself um so then I would say the last thing that happened around that time was part of a faith journey for me and that was probably the most significant thing that kind of changed the way I felt. Um, but I put it here at the end instead of at the beginning, because I think that sometimes like the practical things you do to help yourself grow and move forward and heal and feel better, get lost in this idea of like, Oh, I just want to have this kind of, you know, magical or spiritual experience. And I think it's, (laughs) it's both. Um, but I, my faith had always been important to me, but sometimes people who are prone to anxiety are also prone to perfectionism. And so, you know, this, like everything should be done just right. And that kind of was a little bit like applied to my faith too. And I just went through a period of time where I felt led to just sit quietly with God and feel how much he loved me. And that was a hugely transformative and life-changing thing. Um, because it really just kind of broke down fear and some of those walls of trying to protect myself and felt like it's safe to surrender and trust instead of trying to control through like anticipating what could go wrong. Um, So all of those things just kind of combined to really just start changing that pattern of anxiety that had been there for a long time. So that's the thing I always want people to know that like, there's so many different parts of it. And what I feel like a lot of the teaching we get about mental health just falls really short. Um, Oh yeah. Well, again, even the physical health stuff, they're figuring out like, oh yeah, the research we did back in the eighties and nineties and sixties and all that, like a bunch of it was bogus. Right. Yes. And they paid more attention to the physical and they like barely even looked at the mental, if at all. And so to think that, you know, you know, we're that much further behind today in the mental realm. Yes. And obviously on the individual scale, you can come to know yourself very well and know what you need intuitively. But, you know, as the scientific community and all that, like, (laughs) 
Right. Well, and the, what we know about the brain is like very new, you know, that well, is. Well, isn't it just recently that they finally decided, oh yeah, neuroplasticity and you can't teach an old oh. tricks. Yes. And yeah. I grew up like, okay, yeah, like learning is a thing and you can do it until you die. And right. I'm like, was I just ahead of that? Or was I just after that? Like, I'm not sure. Yeah, no, even just in the, I mean, I've been doing this work for 20 years, but in the grand scheme of things, that's not that long. And so over the course right. of my career, so much of that has changed and there's so much new information about how your brain works and how your body and your nervous system work and how if you do things that help regulate your brain, your body, keep your nervous system calm, that goes a long way to helping you feel good mentally and emotionally. Um, but yeah, that's all relatively new information. And so, and I still don't think it's commonly taught or shared. Yeah. Well, and bringing a couple of things in that I think are interesting points to bring up right now. Um, I had this thought the other day, I think one of the reasons we get so caught up in perfectionism is because we live with computers. Yes. And if it's not exactly exact, 100% of the time, we throw a hissy fit. Yes, that is so true. Well, and, like, and my wife's phone every now and then doesn't get one of my texts and it like has a couple other issues. And so I'd say it's probably like 95 plus percent correct. Yeah. I don't know for sure, but like, you know, if a person was doing that much, we'd be like, dude, awesome, great job. But since yes. it's a computer, we're just like, what is wrong with you? I'm going to trade you in for an info. <laughs> that is really true. And I also think there's this thing of like, everything happens in an instant. You don't have to problem solve or figure things out or sit with the discomfort of, I don't know the answer. And kids today don't know what it's like to be bored. Yeah. And all of that is <laughs> actually talking about all this, you know, neurological research that is emerging that is one of the things that's coming out is that looking at screens and having constant access to answers and never being bored really does change the way your brain works and your mental health and emotional stability really depends a lot on how your brain works and so all of those things are they're good points to make they are having an impact and i don't think people always know that either yeah and yeah, I've been in, I, I just did some personal reflection on this. So what I've been saying is I've been in the personal development world for over seven years. And looking back, you know, even since nine years old, I've been in some form of personal development. But anyways, um, I sometimes forget how much I know that other people have no clue about. Yes, <laughs> because it's kind of intuitive in a way, don't you think? Oh, yeah. It's just like. Yeah, uh, how do you not know that? Like, that's like, I don't think I learned that from anywhere. I just know that. <laughs> right. But I also think that like with all this, like the internet and your phones and your devices and so much access to information, we don't listen to our intuition that much anymore. Yeah. We listen to all the information and there's just so much of it. It's kind of. Well, well, and we're so, this gets me so much. We so readily take at face value the first thing that pops up on Google search results over what your friend says. Yes. Okay. Sure, maybe it's an article by some, what do they call them? News company. 
<laughs> or, you know, maybe it's just a blogger, you know, whatever it is, that's one person's opinion. Even if it's a scientific article, that's one hypothesis. Yeah. Okay. Your friend's hypothesis is just as valid. Maybe it's not been tested or proven as much, but <laughs> yeah, take them for the same face value. Right. Well, and just being able to like consider different things and think through oh, yeah. different scenarios is also an important part of mental health. Yeah. The world, I think, as it is now, definitely has had an impact. And I will say, like I said, I've done this for 20 years. And so that has been enough time to see a change in like people <laughs> and what they experience. And I would say 20 years ago, when I started doing this work, when people had really intense, constant anxiety, usually it was related to like a trauma, something that they had been through. And over the past five to 10 years, that's really different. I see people struggling with really high anxiety and they don't know why. There's not always something they can point to that happened. And so all these things we're talking about, all these other factors and influences play a role in that. Yeah. Well, and I was just about to say, I'm sure, you know, obviously there's just learning and growing how to market and all that. But I imagine back 20 years ago, it was a lot harder to find people that recognized they needed that help yes. compared to, you know, even the last 15, let alone 10 or five years. Yep, definitely. Well, and even in just the past couple of years, you know, there's this huge like surge of online therapy companies and it's just so much more accessible than it used to be. Um, which is good because there's a huge need. Right. The other question is, and this isn't to discount you or anyone else doing therapy, but it's like, okay, how can we address the causes, the roots of the problem instead of just treating the symptoms? Absolutely. It, and and uh, you know, I don't know what your practice is, but I'd imagine you do at least some of that. Like, okay, how can you cut out these roots in your life? Yes, that is it. So that is where therapy is really helpful. And so when I see people in therapy, we start out with managing symptoms because that's quick. And again, right. it goes back to people just don't know what to do, but once they know how to do and what to do and they do it, they feel better. And so that is where I always start. But then yes, we work our way down to what is, what is causing it? Because if we don't resolve the cause, you're just managing symptoms and that helps. It gives some relief, but you still are having the same problem. You're just managing it. And it's filling a leaky bucket more often and recognizing that there's a leak. Yeah. So we, yeah, we want to patch up the hole so that you just don't have the problem anymore. Like we can resolve the problem. Um, and then in coaching, I really help people learn ways to do that for themselves, but one awesome. way or another, I mean, you can't, um, you don't, you're not going to see the change, like the freedom that's possible if you're just learning how to manage symptoms, but you're not getting to the bottom of what's causing them. And that's kind of what I was talking about at the beginning with my story is it's like, well, part of that was my past experiences that had to be resolved. Part of that is my personality. I kind of had to learn how to adapt some of my natural tendencies to not worry or have anxiety when I don't need to. Um, and then there's all these other parts of it too. Yeah. How much time are you spending in technology? What are you eating? How are you taking care of your body? How is, there's so many different aspects to resolving anxiety or whatever mental health concern is there. Right. And 
you, you mentioned the you know you went there with your story do um what where would you say the faith aspect came in and i think you talked a little bit about that like you're just sitting and feeling you know god's love but I, i'm curious for you how that all played out right so um i i'm i'm thinking about going back to that story and elaborating a little bit. Um, I think that the way that faith work fits into that, there are no doubt practical things you can do. Like the more we learn about the brain, the more we understand mental health, there are practical things that we do. And, and without doing them, I don't think you experience the level of healing and resolution that you can, but there right. comes a point where we reach the end of ourselves, <laughs> you know? I mean, we don't know what else to do or we've done everything we can or um, we've gotten all the help we can and we're just out of answers. And that's where I think faith comes in. When we get to the end of ourselves and we've done all that we can do and we feel better, I feel like the faith aspect has the potential to transform you from the inside out in a different way than you can do on your own. And I think you need both. You need the, the part of the spiritual aspect of things where the parts you can't do or see yourself, there is this spiritual, supernatural experience that just changes you. And it's hard to even explain how, but you also need all the practical things that help activate that and that help maintain it. And I feel like a lot of our mental health you know, conversations and education just don't connect those things and how they work together and how if you're only doing one and not the other, you're probably still going to struggle on some level. Right. Well, and I love how you're talking about this and how, you know, the spiritual is related to the mental and the physical is related to the mental and emotional and all that. Um, the podcast I recorded yesterday, which aired last week for the listeners. <laughs> um, it's so weird to talk like that. It's like, I'm tired. Yeah, <laughs> you're here and in the future. <laughs> Hello, from not when you're listening to this. <laughs> Anyways, we, we talked all about health and about how you have your physical health, your emotional health, your mental health, your spiritual health. And they all are interconnected and it is it embodies you. You are you and you're experiencing this life through your health. Yes. You know, there's... Many ways you could say that, but in that regard, your health is how you are being able to perceive and interact with life. Yes, it is. And I call that, so I always picture this like a Venn diagram, you know, where like they uh -huh. overlap. You've got your body, you've got your mind and emotions, and you've got your spirit, and they all overlap. And that part in the middle where they all meet, I call that the marathon effect, because I think that when you are addressing all three, you get to this point of what I call emotional endurance, which is just the ability to keep running forward in your life with an internal sense of stability, no matter what ups, ups or downs you face. And so you can kind of marathon your way through life, handling whatever it comes and feeling pretty good inside yourself, even if your circumstances are hard. Um, and I do think that takes all those aspects of health being addressed and working together. Right. Well, and, you know, trying to think of that Venn diagram, 
what comes to mind for the mix between the body and the mind is the brain. Yes. Which, you know, you shouldn't interact with that with your fingers. (laughs) 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 You can tap the skull, but don't, don't touch your brain. Um, But it's, it's almost as ethereal as the mind but we know that the brain is an organ that's physical but it's our connection between our body and our mind which are you know again two separate things yes well and it's uh, i would even extend it beyond that that it's your brain but it's your whole nervous system and so that's true that's true your heart and your lungs and the way all those things respond in the face of stress um And that is where I think people often think like anxiety in particular is something in your mind and you think your way out of it, but it's so much something in your body too, that you process physically. I I love that. I'm just connecting a bunch of dots in my head right now. What are you thinking? Um, Just like thinking energy, which is a little bit woo woo, but you right. know, we're talking but, spiritual anyways, right? <laughs> and, and I'm not even sure how to sum it up. It was just a bunch of subtle connections. That's like, okay, yeah, to call the connection between your mind and your body, the nervous system, rather than just the brain, it makes a lot more sense because it's like, oh yeah, that includes all of me, even if it's not strictly including the muscles and the bones and the skin. Right. But right. even the skin is like, even all that is attached to the nervous system. And it, it's, it's connecting dots in philosophy, in energy. In, like it's right. just, it is all these things coming together. Yes. And I think that's where anyone who struggles with mental health, there is some piece of that puzzle that they're missing. There's something that's being neglected in body or mind or spirit. Um, because you're right, all those things interconnect so, so completely that you cannot separate them out and treat them like they're different, like almost like they're different people. <laughs> you yeah. are a whole person, you know, you've got all of that. You know, you're this ghost riding a meat filled sack with the ethereal driver, <laughs> exactly. to put it very crudely. <laughs> exactly. Right. In that terms, like sounds like I'm kind of cool. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, I I love and respect my body, my mind, my spirit, and all of that. So it's not like I'm trying to make fun of. I'm just trying to, you know, put a a twist on it. Humor is important too. I mean, that's humor is a good coping skill. That's something that helps. So (laughs) we need more of that. It also makes me think, and this is kind of a little bit of a deep thought, but when you always laugh to things that come up that you should be addressing, that's kind of a coping response to say, ha, 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 I don't want to address this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it actually is. It it is one of the healthier. Right. Yes, I, I, I definitely would agree with that as well. But most people miss it as it's also a signal. They just think it's a ha ha. Right. Yes, you're right. That is a really good insight that, yeah, that often kind of tells you, oh, there's something here that's bothering me. 
which is another important part of who you are as a person, your, your feelings and your emotional experience and how you respond to that. Yeah. Maybe that's why puns are so evil when it comes to humor is because in humor, there's always a nugget of truth, but in puns, it's just plays on words. <laughs> yes. <that is> a <laughs> like what do kids write around in? Like what, ve- what vehicle do kids write in? I don't know the answer to that one. A minivan. <laughs> I don't even know if that was a pun. <laughs> it's probably right on the board between puns and jokes. It was on the back of the Laffy Taffy. So the, the, that tells you about all you need to know about worrying about that. <laughs> yeah. How does humor play into anxiety? Um, I want to answer my own question. <laughs> yeah, you go first and then I'll tell you what I think. <laughs> okay. So the first place that I'm thinking of is anxiety or anxiety and nervousness, I think are close enough for what I'm about to say that nervousness and excitement in the brain activate the exact same part, yeah. right? And so it's just how we're perceiving it. So if we perceive said situation that is causing us to be nervous, we can be like, yo, this is exciting, which puts a whole new twist and spin on it. Yes. And then we were talking about humor. Was the question? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so affect anxiety. you can take that bridge and then you can say, okay, this is exciting. And then you can joke and be like, hey, you know, if this and this and this happens, which is what my anxiety says is going to happen, <laughs> dude, it's going to be a great story. Or the right. dude, you just, you just laugh it off. Yes. So I think that seems that, a little bit scatterbrained, but, but what is your take on how I came across that and what other thoughts you might have? Yeah, no, I think that you're onto something. So I always say like, there's these six or five reasons for anxiety that, that people don't consider. Um, it's physical, it's emotional it's experiential, it's mental and it's behavioral, but that mental piece, like your thoughts affect how you feel. And people don't always know that they think something happens, something stressful happened. And I felt anxious, but actually like something stressful happens, you think about it and whatever thoughts you have about it cause you to feel the emotion or the anxiety. And so I think that what you're talking about is just shifting that thought piece away from, oh my gosh, this horrible thing could happen and it would be so bad. And then I would feel this way. And then this horrible thing would result, which all the, all those thoughts, like keep ramping up your anxiety. But when you change those thoughts to that would actually be hilarious. I mean, it would be awful, but it would make a great story. It shifts the thought. And so the feeling is a different outcome. You know, like the feeling that goes along with that is an anxiety. It's like, what? It's it's happiness or laughter and maybe like some resilience strength. There's a sense of like, oh, I could handle it. I could turn it into a story. And so just that the, like, you can't always control the situation. You can't always control your feeling, but you can 100% control what your mind does in the middle And so I think that's where humor comes into play and can bring anxiety down because anything you do to shift anxiety provoking thoughts to thoughts that are more soothing or funny or better in some way is helpful. Right. And 
you know, it makes me think about Viktor Frankl in his book. He mentions that um, in between stimulus and response is a space where you get to choose how you respond. Yes. And that is your response ability. Right. It's your responsibility to use your response ability, yes. your ability to respond. And I bring that up a ton in the podcast, but it's so brilliant it and is. so amazingly summed up so succinctly. Right. And I'll tell people that a lot, you know, like if they're reacting in ways they don't like, just put some space between the feeling and the action because and, often, and a breath. Yeah. In that space, you can, you can calm all those things we've talked about your brain, your body, your nervous system and think. And if you can think you can figure out what to do. Yeah. How to respond in a way that lines up with what's important to you. I actually had this happen at work just two days ago. So I currently work as a piano technician, right? So okay. repairing or building pianos. Yeah. And I was replacing some bass strings. So the big coiled, you know, copper colored strings on a piano. And so I'd taken all the old ones off and I was putting the new ones on. And it's a process to be able to coil it around the tuning pin and then put the pin in and then get it all cinched up right and make it look nice. Well, you got your tuning hammer that you're moving that pin back and forth, kind of like a socket wrench. Yeah. And um, I needed to get the torque right because it's supposed to be between 120 pounds and 100 pounds of torque so that you could tune it easier. And it was like at 160 or something. So I needed to wiggle it a couple times so that just the friction and moving it would make it less torque. And as I'm doing that, the wire snaps. Oh, no. And I'm just like, okay. And, and you know, my mind gets <laughs> flooded with all these thoughts. Now, if it was just a simple treble string, that wouldn't be a big issue because you just you take off a spool and you use those. Yeah. But the wound ones are made specifically per piano. Oh wow. Per piano to be the right, right, everything, coil, density, etc. And so I'm just like, okay, I'm gonna take a breath in. I, you know, quickly go look and I'm up on the balcony, <laughs> like right in front of the banister for the balcony. And so I look behind the piano, I'm working on a grand and I'm like, there's no string there. There's no string in the piano. The string is not up here. Anymore. And so I just sit down on the piano bench and I'm like, right. Breathe. It's okay. Yes. I will find it. And we will address the situation when I get the information of what exactly happened. Yes. And so I go to the banister and I look out on the floor and I'm just like, where in the world did it go? <laughs> I finally spot it. I walk down the stairs, go pick it up. And um, there's more I could add, but it's kind of relevant. Um, but then I pick it up and it's intact except for the end. And so you can do what's called a splice too, where you basically do, in the end, it looks like a figure eight knot, but it's two strings wound together in such a way that you, as much as you pull it, the strings would have to break through each other in order to come apart before they would come apart just by undoing themselves. And so we do that all up and it's like, okay, cool. It doesn't look as good, but it's still functional. Right. And yeah. it was like, 
I can handle that. Yes. It, and it, it, I noticed it helped so, so much to just breathe and just take that moment. And it, and it was a good moment. I was just like. Yeah. Do you know why that helps? Honestly, I don't know the scientifics behind it. Okay. It actually, there's science behind it. So I feel like people always think, oh, that's way too simple. Breathing is, that's way too simple of a solution. But the reason it works is because it resets your nervous system. Yeah. And when you reset your nervous system, now you've gone from being in the emotional part of your brain to being in the thinking part of your brain. And so when you took a breath, then it allowed you to reconnect to the thinking part of your brain that solved the problem. And so breathing really is, I always say that's the quickest, easiest way to reset and just calm down those physical feelings of anxiety um, because it ties into your heart, your breathing, your brain, and then truly like everything starts working together again to regulate the way you feel. That's cool. I also love that story because exactly what you described is like kind of like a really simplified three steps that I'll teach people to use because you can use it like, you know, anytime in a, in a quick second. But mm -hmm. the first step is just take a step back and reset. So like breathe and um, do something that calms your body down and then objective thinking. I always say SOS. It's easy to remember. So S step back and breathe. O objective, objectively look at the situation. So you did, you were like, I can handle it. This is okay. Let me take a breath. I can handle it. And then the last S is solve the problem. And so you were like, okay, now that I took a breath, I know I can handle this. Let me figure out a solution. And then you got up and you figured it out. And it's like, okay, this is fine. So that could have been like a moment of anxiety, but it wasn't because you went through that whole process to just keep everything calm. Well, and frankly, I could tell that there was a spike of anxiety wanting to sure. not creep in. It was wanting to shove in. Yes. Yeah. What have I done? How this is a disaster. Well, and actually, let me add a couple of those details that were a second ago were irrelevant. So, because it actually plays into the whole situation, describing what happened. So, um, when it started restringing, this is like the second piano I've restringed. So, I asked one of my coworkers, I'm like, hey, you might give me a brief tutorial again. How do you do this? I'm pretty sure I've got it, but I want to see it done again. So, I'll make sure I know how to do it. And they cut the string too short on the first one they did. <laughs> by a couple inches oh, which no. meant that it totally was not going to reach the pin so automatically oh. on the first one we had to do a splice and so oh. that co-worker had decided okay did you tell him just breathe <laughs> they breathed and then they're like okay it's okay yeah yes um, and then another co-worker was like dude like don't even sweat this <laughs> um, um but anyway so then when i go back so, so, so when I, the other one snaps, something, one of those thoughts comes in is like, this is the second broken one. Right. Yes. Yeah. And then when I go back down to the floor and pick up the string after, and I think I mentioned, but the, the important part was intact. It was able to work. Um, I pick it up in that other coworker that broke the, that um, cut the, wire too short earlier they were down there and I'm just like pick it up kind of sheepishly and like a hey well look at this and they're like why is the base string on the bottom like why is it a floor down from where it should be and I'm just like 
It's <laughs> a funny story now. Oh, my funny story. Yeah. Look. Yeah. Uh, it's not connected anymore. You're going to laugh about this one day. <laughs> and I was laughing then. And it was kind of a, ha, a little bit anxious laugh, but also just a good gravy. This is too funny. Yeah. Yes. Well, and stuff happens. I mean, it just does. Oh, yeah. There's always and, and they looked at it and they're like, oh, this wire had an imperfection in it. It was always going to snap. Oh, okay. It was just a matter of time. It, well, it was a matter of whoever torqued it next was going to break it. Yeah. <laughs> it so it was like, a, well, that helps alleviate my stress now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so much of that, though, does depend on like what what like catching those thoughts that are kind of catastrophizing and escalating mm -hmm. anxiety and then like replacing them with things that calm it so like you said there was that moment of what what just happened what are we going to do but you were kind of able to rein it back in and say it'll be okay I'll figure it out yeah. or, or like when I got a boot on my car on my third date with my now wife <laughs> <laughs> The plan was walk her up to the door and say goodnight. Three hours later, talking on the couch, and I go back outside. I'm just like, oh, oh no. <laughs> I start busting a gut. I'm just like, this is great. This is going to be a great story. This is going to be hilarious. I like that mindset, actually, that like every, every catastrophe probably is a great story in the end. It's either funny or it's inspirational. It, or, and or you learn from it. Right. Yeah. The next two boots in that parking lot, I was not slapping at. I was more like, <laughs> "How did you not me? learn your lesson?" Um, because I, the first time I parked in a numbered stall, and then the next time I parked in a unmarked stall. But oh. I, I lived in the, that particular place was Provo, Utah. Which, if anyone knows Provo, they are monsters when it comes to parking. Okay, they're serious about it. And there is, it, it, the, the, most of the place was built in the 50s when you maybe had a car. Yeah. Maybe. So it was like, we have plenty. And I was like, well, if I have a car, let alone if I'm married, <laughs> <laughs> we have two cars. So their parking situation is uh, abysmal at best. And so they're pretty strict about it in the apartment complexes. And you know, I got uh, to experience that a few times. And then finally it was like, after the third one, it was like, I am done parking in this parking lot. I will walk a significant distance if it means I have to, but I am parking in the street now. A learning experience. <laughs> right. And no issues since. And that was <laughs> two and a half years ago. So, yeah. Yeah. I feel like that, that is important too, just to recognize like the importance of story that we'll, whatever you go through, it is part of your story. And oh, yeah. even the hard things become stories that are, like you said, a learning experience or they help other people. Um, yeah. And the cherry on top of that story is it was November in Utah. Oh, and no. December in Utah. Oh no, so you were hiking through. So it was cold. car <laughs> <laughs> would have been nice with a heater. Right. <laughs> But, you know, I was getting to go see my girlfriend and hang out and chat. And like, oh, love it. Worth it. No, we're married. <laughs> it had a happy ending. <laughs> it had a happy ending. But, yeah, it, 
And I've always been a very positive guy, which is part of the reason I never really recognized I had anxiety until even it was just a couple of years ago. I'm like, wait, maybe I do have anxiety. Yeah. How did you discover that that's what it was or kind of put a name to it? I think I just heard enough about it. It was like, oh, that's what everyone keeps talking about. This feeling. Okay. Yeah, because it is, it's such a feeling that's hard to put words to. I feel like it's very physical a lot of times for people. And I was always just like, okay, push through it. Yeah. I was just like, I don't want to do this. Well, do I need to? Yes, no. No? Okay, well, I don't have to. Yes? Okay, let's just do it. Yeah. And I've been really good for most of my life about being able to retell the story in my mind and skirt away from those catastrophic thoughts and be like, well, what if it does turn out really good? Right. Did But something changed? Like that was a new thing? What do you mean by that? Having anxiety, did that kind of come out of nowhere? I, I think I just finally had a name for it. I think okay. I've had it. I just never recognized it. Yeah. And again, I whether or not I've had a ton of it or not, you know, I was I didn't have the word for it back when I was growing up. And so, well, the word and the experience were not connected. Right. Phrase it like that. Right, which is probably really common. Yeah. Kind of like how I'm 90% certain I may have got some form of ADHD or something and I just haven't ever gotten diagnosed. <laughs> yeah, you can start to see, oh wait, some things match up. But um, but yeah, it's nobody is talking about anxiety. I think most of the time, like as kids grow up, nobody's really talking to them about feelings much at all. Yeah. Um, Definitely but, a lot uh, more than you know, when I was growing up, but still, yeah, I think it's gotten better, but even then it's like, you know, you're, you're basic, mad, sad, happy, scared, but, but I don't think that a lot of people learn or connect what that experience of anxiety is. Yeah. Well, and you know, the movie inside out phenomenal. And I've heard many stories about how it's really helping, you know, young kids to be able to be like, that's what I'm feeling. Yeah. And, but the, I think the one downfall, and obviously being a movie, it's hard to account for this, is that it limited it to five feelings. Right. And, and so it's when you gain that understanding of, oh, there's not just five basic emotions, or right. maybe there's five basic emotions, but it's not only five emotions. Yeah. Well, and I think that um, anxiety sometimes shows up as other feelings too, like guilt. Right or shame you know like not your five basic feelings but sometimes these other like extra feelings are really connected to anxiety well it's interesting that you mentioned it like that because I've definitely had some of that at work where I'm just like I feel like I'm not performing to the level that my boss expects me to and so I've got this underlying feeling of anxiety that I've just been I don't even think I've consider giving it a label and so it's just been there but as I'm talking here with you I'm like oh yeah that's totally anxiety (laughs) well and I think the value in having a name to it is that then you have some things to do for it um because I really do think anxiety is it's one of the simplest things to overcome but just people don't know how or they don't know how to put all the pieces together 
you know, they'll have one piece of like, okay, I should breathe or one piece of, okay, I should think differently, but you need all those pieces. Like you have to use them all to really address and get rid of anxiety. I just remembered as well, it was probably about 10 years ago that I was, honestly, it was kind of just told and I decided to learn it instead of, like it wasn't necessarily taught, but I was told, but I decided to learn it regardless. Um, this one guy was like, yeah, my wife has like anxiety attacks all the time. So her therapist says, okay, five, four, three, two, one, five things yeah. you can see, uh, four things that you can hear, I think, and then three things that you can touch and two things that you can smell and one thing that you can taste, yeah. utilizing all five senses. And there's been, you know, maybe up to five times I've used that. And mm-hmm. it's funny that it, it was only just now where I'm like, oh yeah, I have had anxiety tools that I've used a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's called grounding. It's anything that just focuses your five senses in the present moment. Um, and that's another thing that like breathing just resets your nervous system. And so that, but you also need, I think a variety of things to do because different things right. work at different times, you know, like sometimes breathing works and sometimes you're like, that didn't do the trick. I got to pull out my five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> right. So yeah, I think the and more- sometimes you just need to be like, yo, best friend or yo, person I can trust, yo, mom, yo, whoever. Yes. Help. Yeah. And sometimes you need humor and sometimes you need to, you know, change the way you're thinking about something. You need all those tools at your disposal so that you have different things to use when you feel that way. And and something will work, but it may be different things at different times. Yeah. And also this gets overlooked a ton too. Um, for anxiety, maybe not as applicable as other feelings, but you know, even with anxiety, once you're in a safe place, feel it. Yes. Just, okay, thank you, emotion, for showing up. Let me yes. fully feel you. What are you trying to tell me? Do I need to do anything? Okay, thanks for coming. Goodbye. For sure. And that's the part where anxiety is emotional. If you have emotions that have no way out, you're trying to push them down and ignore them or get rid of them and not feel them. That's going to morph into anxiety. The feeling's not going to go away. It's just going to like shift into that kind of constant anxious feeling. It's kind of like bottling milk and leaving it on your shelf instead of in the fridge. And even if you leave it in your fridge or even, yeah, just even leave it in the fridge, but you like don't ever take care of it. And then you like open your fridge one day and you're just like, what's this living in the fridge? Yeah. More from like milk to what herds of that, that weird owl song in the bridge. <laughs> yeah, like that's scary i don't like this and it's in me because i'm my fridge <laughs> it's so true and i don't think that i mean a lot of people never learn that how to sit with feelings how to be like okay you're telling me something thanks for coming like i experienced you we're good <laughs> i've known about it probably two, three years, and I still hardly ever do it, even though I know it's honestly, ultimately kind of the super weapon. Yes. It's like super effective and it works and it takes care of it instead of just treating it for symptoms. Yep. I always think you need to kind of carve out some intentional daily time, you know, kind of go inward and like deal with whatever's there or are you feeling something is your body okay going back to being bored 
Yes. Yes. It, you know, that is another thing that is coming out with neuroscience is that silence, being able to sit in silence is really good for your brain and your emotion regulation. And yeah, that being bored helps you be able to sit with various feelings and just be okay. Yeah. I've gone to many, many seminars, right? And during Q&A, every now and then we'll get brought up, somebody will say something and then the, you know, the coach mentor, whoever on stage will be like, okay, what you need to do is schedule in your day. They'll either say like a minute or five minutes of silence Mm -hmm. and people will lose their minds over it. They're like, I cannot comprehend not doing anything for even a minute solid, let alone five. And even as I'm saying this, describing other people, like, I'm like, well, am I doing this? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, not exactly. But I did that yesterday a little bit. And I'm just like, oh, this is great. Yeah. I do that every morning. And I will say, like, if I, this is where it comes back to mental health is consistency, just like physical health. If I don't do that for a period of time, I start to not feel great, you know, but that, but having some time carved out in your day where you get quiet, take care of any feelings you have, deal with any thoughts you're having. It really does go a long way to just keeping you calm. Yeah. And I'm curious what your perspective is on this because this has been a thought, a question kicking around. So the value of silence versus like, I listen to meditation tracks that are designed to put you into like theta brainwave states Mm -hmm. is there a particular value to like obviously in today's world it's kind of hard to find absolute silence but you know as silent as you can make it versus something that's trying to get me into more meditative state i think there is i think the difference is that i think that meditation helps you really it really helps you develop that brain capacity to steer your thoughts you know, to like recognize when your mind is wandering, to like bring it back into the present, which has a lot of value. But silence, I think is different. I think silence allows you to hear what's going on inside of yourself. And sometimes it's surprising. Like if you're always going, 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 you may not notice what you're thinking, how you're feeling, but when you get quiet, you really can't avoid it anymore. So I see silence and meditation as being slightly different that way. But what's your experience as somebody who is meditating intentionally like that? Yeah, I mean, I usually I'll use the meditation tracks as I'm doing something. It was only just yesterday for a good while. (laughs) I don't particularly care to think how long, but it's been a while. Yeah. (laughs) Um. Where I was in the middle of a journaling exercise, and then I was just like, okay. And I just sat back in my chair. I was like, I'm not going to worry about that right now. I'm just going to, okay, let, you know, kind of take an inventory, if you will, in my yes. mind. And just like, okay, what is going on in here? <laughs> yeah. And I think meditation in some ways helps you empty your mind, although I kind of hate that. Um, description of it because I think then people get frustrated with themselves when they're like but I couldn't there's always thoughts that come in it's like yeah part of the point of meditation is that like that it's okay you accept it but you're clearing the clutter yes that's the emptying 
but you're I not think emptying silence. your entire house, you're emptying the clutter. Yeah, but I think silence is different. I think silence is like just making space for whatever is there to come up. And then okay. it, if it comes up, you can deal with it. I like that. It, I'm thinking now I'm gonna have to find some way to build that into my health routine because I go to the gym after work. Yeah. And so, you know, that's really easy. It's like done with work. I'm at the gym. Yeah. And so I've been reading Atomic Habits by James Clear. Super mm-hmm. phenomenal. And he talks about adding things into your life through yes, some fancy term for it. It's super great, but basically habit addition, right. where it's like after I do this habit, I do this habit. Yeah. I know what you and mean. I can't and, and you take the thing that you have been doing and you add something else before or after it. Yeah. Each day I eat lunch. Yep. Hopefully. <laughs> well, I think the thing that's good about that too is then it's achievable. It's like one thing right. at a time and then you build up to, you know, where you want to be slowly. And so you don't get frustrated and quit in the process. But the daily silence, it doesn't have to be that much time. I mean, truly like one no. to five minutes will, will do it. Uh, well, and some classes I took in my senior year of high school, you know, I took some online classes. It's about being homeschooled. Um, they would literally start out every class with a minute of silence. Yeah. It was so good. Right. So good. It's centering. But I, but I do think there are people who find that kind of overwhelming to sit and be quiet. But I would also guess those people might have anxiety, you know? Right? Like, I have to feel this? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I've been bottling this up for 20 years now. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. It gets hard to, but it's one of those things that truly like, okay, if you will go there and deal with it, you will feel better. Well, and going back to the faith aspect, how would you say prayer interacts with that? Obviously different religions and different belief systems will think of prayer differently, but just that active, a conscious attempt at connection with your higher power. Yeah. How would you say that plays into mental health? Yes. So to, I believe that's an indispensable part of mental health. I mean, it is for me. And so I have a routine every morning that includes kind of all of these things. I'll spend some time just being silent and then some time breathing. I always do a little gratitude, gratitude, actually gratitude and fear come from the same place in your brain too. And so are you kidding me? Gratitude and fear come from the same place. Yeah. And gratitude has like, some. What? I know it's <gasps> crazy. like breathing that I feel like people don't always believe how powerful gratitude is, but if you will have like a daily gratitude practice or in a moment of fear or anxiety, find something you're grateful for. It truly does. It, it changes the way that your brain works. It regulates emotion. Um, so, Sorry, this is just blowing my brain. Go ahead. You're saying that like nervousness and excitedness activate the same part of the brain, that gratitude and fear activate the same part of the brain? Yeah. What? So you cannot feel both oh at the same time. Just, that is so odd. The other thing that's just kind of cool about that is that if you start keeping like a daily gratitude journal, you know, just as simple as like list a few things you're grateful for each day, your brain will not spend so much time seeking out like horrible worst case scenario things. And it will start seeking out more 
things to be grateful for. Because that's um, where you're making that area of the brain focus on. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fascinating the benefits of, of gratitude. So I always do a little of that. And then I always pray. And I feel like where prayer comes in is it, it helps to go to therapy. It helps to have a counselor. Obviously I'm a believer in those things. It's a huge part of my life, but there, but you need to have internal resources too. You need to be able to help yourself through things. And so I think that prayer gives you access to the ultimate counselor. I mean, you have somebody who 24 hours a day, seven days a week can. It's like the master at all of it. Yes. Like is always available, always loves you. There's always an answer. There's always some truth for what you're going through. And, um, and I think that that is a very centering process and bringing you back to, okay, I can let go. I can surrender. Like surrender is a really big part of mental health too. It's okay if I can't control everything because I believe in God who's in control and it's going to be okay. It doesn't it's always mean it's it. be the way you want it to be, but it does mean that you will be okay. You know, you will be able to handle it. Yeah. It's interesting. As you mentioned control, my brain being more tuned into being aware of my body right now, it's like, "Mm, yeah, those muscles around the backside of your elbows and arms and your back, you have a little bit of tension from trying to control everything in your life. And I'm like, Well, and nobody likes to feel out of control. We all do that. So again, I think it comes back to like, this takes some work. You know, it's like the daily discipline of like resetting your mind, taking care of your body, nurturing your spirit, because if you stop, you're probably not going to feel very good. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) I've been both sides. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and... Oh, mental health? What's that? (laughs) Oh, I don't feel Or let's work on this. Wow, I feel amazing. Yes, I know everybody does. That's kind of normal. I mean, I will notice that too, as committed as I am to like these daily practices, sometimes I'm not as into that. And then I'll notice I don't feel as good. What happened? Oh yeah, I stopped doing the things that make me feel really good. Or stopped being as mindful about it. Yes, yeah. And that's okay too. Sometimes you get tired, you know? Oh yeah. Well, and I feel like we're a lot more cyclical. Like we go through cycles a lot more than anyone gives credit for. Yeah. You know, generally speaking, I've had a couple of people on the show that have talked about that. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that that's okay. But just if you notice things aren't working right, you're not feeling good. You have something to go back to, (laughs) you know, you kind of know the things to do. And if you start doing them again, you'll probably feel better. Right. It's still blowing my mind about the gratitude fear thing. I mean, you know, it's always said in the, you know, in church, it's like you know, faith is the opposite of fear, and I still agree with that. But I'm like, but you know, I think both of these things can be true. They are, and I think it comes back to it is a biblical, it is biblical that you are body, soul, and spirit. And so I feel like all gratitude is a very biblical concept. (laughs) Taking care of your body is a very biblical concept. Managing your thoughts 
biblical concept, dealing with yeah, emotion. Yeah, just dig through the Psalms. You don't have to do anything else. Like, obviously, the rest of it has that, but, you know, just the Psalms. <laughs> exactly. I know. I tell people that all the time when they're like, I don't want to feel all this emotion. Read the Psalms. Like, this is okay. God designed us to feel. Shall we read? <laughs> yeah. And so I think that for whatever reason, I feel like in, in Christian circles or in church or faith cultures, a lot of times mental health kind of skews towards just a focus on faith and on the other side, sometimes in pray harder, fast more. And I think that I see people end up just with such a sense of like shame and condemnation. Like I I'm doing something wrong. And oh, I, yeah, because we totally skew morality into our feelings and yeah. boy, howdy, I'm still figuring this one out too. I'm in the middle of it, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, okay. Um, yes, yeah, certain sins, as the Bible teaches, make really good buffer activities for our emotions. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm doing those. How do I, like, stop doing that, address those emotions so that I can stop feeling the shame that's fading into that cycle that then allows me to feel like I'm living within my values, right. with my faith, and... <laughs> yeah, complicated. And I think, again, like, it's okay, maybe church goes way on the spiritual side, but a lot of times therapy goes so far on the mental side that, and then you're like your personal trainer goes on the physical side, but who's showing you how those things work together. I just, I think that, um, you're just kind of expected to do each one and then miraculously they'll link up. Right. Right. Or you just don't know all the things to do for each one, but I personally don't believe that anxiety is happens because you don't have enough faith. I don't. I think faith is one of the most helpful, transformative things you can do to heal your anxiety. Like that is, that will help where other things can't. But I think that people have anxiety for other reasons. You know, your brain, your body, your emotions, your past traumas, your beliefs, your thoughts, your behaviors, and that I think not integrating those things leaves people without something to do. And if you don't have something to do, you just feel so helpless and like you're failing, like you're failing at loving God. That's not, that's not a way people should feel. Well, and even take the perfect example from the Bible, Christ, right? John 11, I think it's 37. Short of scripture. Jesus wept. Yes. Okay, that tells me a lot of things. Yeah. It tells me he felt emotion. It tells me he recognized it needed to be expressed. It tells me he didn't bottle it up. It tells me he was telling us it's okay to feel. Yes. And I can keep going. Yeah. And relate it to almost everything we talked about here just now in the past yeah. little bit. That is the thing I think that, you know, just being a therapist and I keep up with all this, the science and the neuroscience and the research, when these things come out, I'm like, that is in the Bible. <laughs> that is the <laughs> Did you guys book. try going from the source book before just taking it all on your own? I'm always like, this is mind blowing. God is brilliant. Like he told us these things. He knew, he knew how our brains and our bodies work. These are not new concepts. And for whatever reason, I think sometimes Christianity has a hard time embracing science and vice versa. And I just don't find the two to be that much at odds. (laughs) If you really kind of look at it, 
they're, they're not at odds other than the ego. Yeah. Of both of them. Yes. Which is I, I, I feel like, I think it was Einstein said something along the lines of, you know, science will take you away from God until you get down to the end of it and then you'll find him there. Yeah. Right. And that's the, we get to the end of ourselves. You know, there is like some point where I feel like that spiritual experience and connection is healing in a way that other things can't be. But there are other things you do that are important to your healing that go along with having faith and yeah. investing in the spiritual side of it. And I love as well, the, I've heard it said that the science explains the how of the universe and the and religion explains the why of the universe. Yeah. And, you know, obviously the Bible covers a bunch of the how as well, but yeah, you know, if you take it even just that simple, it's like, okay, take both of them and then you have why and how. It is. Whoa! <laughs> Because I think, too, one thing that's hard is like, okay, we know from the Bible that we need to manage our minds. We need to renew our minds and, and manage our thought life, but we don't always know how. And then here's all this stuff coming from science. Here's how. Do you know if you breathe, that like helps regulate what's happening in your brain so you can think? <laughs> you know, do you know that actually gratitude does work on a neurobiological level and so i do i feel like that how is really essential yeah and even you know the science behind fasting it's like oh yeah this has like huge health benefits and isaiah's yeah. like dude i had you for like a couple thousand years right <laughs> right it really is fascinating to me it really is but i think that that the whole message of just pray more if you're anxious like you're not you're not praying enough or you're not serving enough or giving enough is is flawed and there's like a better message somewhere of keep doing those things your faith it that has the power to heal you but here's some other things like here's some of the how here's something well and maybe your faith will lead you to the resources to help you address this issue absolutely absolutely and that's one of the things that you know when i can see my head bob there Yeah. When I talked about, you know, starting my own training to become a therapist and just reading so much and finding so much information, I do think that's important. Like, I do think God will highlight this is, this is something that can help. And then you can line it up with, oh, okay. And this also matches up with the truth of the Bible, <laughs> you know, not it's, this is not witchcraft. Well, well you know, I've, in some of the personal development stuff I'm doing right now, I'm like, okay, here's a new concept that if I was to have looked at this 15 years ago, I would have been immediately like, witchcraft, heathenry, evil. And now I'm like, okay, I feel like these two go together. How do I do it together? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Again, because we get these isolated messages. We don't get a lot of teaching that's like, here's how these things go together. Right. And, you know, there's still some stuff that I'm just like, mm, yep, that's wrong. Yeah. But it's not everything that, you know, and I talk with a lot of people that are spiritual and not religious. Mm-hmm. And I can totally get where they're coming from because religions, frankly, have done quite a lot to screw over humanity by bickering and doing a bunch of dumb stuff. 
but I still believe that there is, you know, at least one religion that well, I, I believe there's one religion, but anyways, <laughs> that is true. And I believe that there is a God and, you know, ultimately God wants to help us. And we as humanity have kind of screwed up religion to where it gets really confusing. Very true. We have so overcomplicated it. And that's another thing about having kids. When my kids were little, they would ask me these questions about God and the Bible. And when I'd have to put it into kid language, I was always like, wow, this is so unbelievably simple. I mean, it is profound, <laughs> but it is so simple. How have yeah. we made it so complicated? It's, it's deep, but we overcomplicate it. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes it's hard to get through some of the chapters, especially if you look at Isaiah and you're just like, what was he talking about? But then you pull out a study guide that's like, this is the context. It's like, whoa, this makes so much sense now. It's really fascinating. My whole family decided this year that we were going to go through the, the Bible in a year plan chronological. So it doesn't go in like order of the books. It goes in order okay. of events. And I've never gone through the whole Bible like that. And it has been really illuminating when you start seeing how things connect you just see so much more about just the character of God and what like what being connected to God means and how different that is than what we've learned a lot of times yeah well you know just like any story it almost you know there's hardly any story that doesn't make more sense if you take it front to end yes the context is important yeah. the whole the way everything connects means something and i'm learning the skill of figuring out what is essential in context and what is superfluous in context yeah. or what is fluff yeah, <laughs> yeah. which you know with that story about the pianos i was like okay this seems like it's extra unnecessary so i'm not going to share it and then as we went along i'm like okay actually now it is relevant right yeah it's that's a lifelong journey too I feel like like there's oh, yeah. always more you can learn and deeper you can go in your faith and your spiritual life yeah almost everything I can talk about I can talk about for hours and hours and hours <laughs> <laughs> yes kindred soul <laughs> uh well, we have been talking here for a little bit and I feel like we're kind of getting to the point where it would be good to wrap up um but before we get there, is there anything else you'd want to make sure to add to our conversation? Um, I think the biggest takeaway that I would want to leave is just that it is a process like healing, being healthy is a process and it is a whole person process. It is figuring out how your physical health, your mental health and your spiritual health all go together and it's something that is a process that keeps evolving when you do it consistently over time. Mm -hmm. yeah, I love that. And like I said, that's kind of what I talked about yesterday that was from last week's episode. I'll have to listen to that one. I'll be listening. <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it was really good. It, maybe, no, it was the one, two episodes that was a little bit more. Anyways. I just love going on to deep dives with people and I take, I, I, I really, really love this quote from one of my religious leaders. He says, you bring what you know, I'll bring what I know. We'll both share and we'll both come way better. Yes. 
it, you know, that's maybe only slightly paraphrased, but that was the gist of it. I love that. And so, you know, even when I'm talking with people that I'm just like, you seem way out there. I'm like, there's something I can learn here. Totally. Even if I disregard 90% of what you say. Yeah. <laughs> and at this point I've gotten where I'm like, things aren't as different as we make them to be. It's yep. all connected. Yeah. Yeah. You learn a lot by listening. You really do. You really do. Yeah. And, you know, so many things I could add. <laughs> I'm like, I want to add. Uh, <laughs> it's like, and anyways, lots of things, but you know, we, we, the entirety of us is one being and we have various facets of that, you know, just like a diamond, there's various facets of our being that we can look from that angle and say, okay, what do I need now? Yeah. And I love what we've been able to learn here with you, Celia, um, about, you know, the mental aspect as well as the spiritual aspect and even a little bit the physical. Thank you so much. You asked really good questions. I really enjoyed our conversation. Absolutely. And for those looking to find out how to work with you or find out more stuff about you, where can they find that at, Celia? So my website is christianxietycoach.com. It's just all all one thing together. And then I actually um, have a free resource that goes through those five five reasons for anxiety and what to do about it. And that's just christianxietycoach.com forward slash help, H-E-L-P. Help. Yep. Help me. Help. (laughs) And I know you mentioned them earlier, but it was, I'm going to see if I can remember. One of them was circumstantial or something like that. Emotional. It's one of them physical. Yeah. Um, behavioral. Mm-hmm. And was the other one spiritual? The other one was mental. Mental. Okay. Nearly got them all. You were very close. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, I feel like I got the, I missed the one that most people would get. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's not where you struggle. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like it's not. And yet it is because I am a whole being and every asset at every facet of it. It's yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for being on Celia and we'll wrap this one up. And for the listeners, remember you can rewrite your stars and today learning about how to do that with your mind and how to get yourself kind of on a mental exercise routine so that your mental health is happy instead of sad. <laughs> <laughs> any last words you got Celia I think that's good I liked how you sum that up with make your mental health happy instead of sad <laughs> alright and we'll see you guys next week thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today I hope that you've been able to gain that missing piece or get that gold nugget you've been needing to continue rewriting your life how you want it to work until next time I'm Benjamin Fincher helping you to rewrite your stars.